Coming up next, please stay tuned for It Is Written, presented by Pastor John Bradshaw. This is It Is Written. I'm John Bradshaw. Thanks for joining me. I want to tell you about a woman who changed the world against the odds. A woman who opened the eyes of countless people and in the process taught the world an important lesson. For most people, looking up into a clear evening sky brings a sense of wonder and awe, witnessing the glittering greetings of stars shining in the heavens. Although there are billions of stars in the universe, the most you can see with the naked eye at any one time is only a few thousand. But what you're able to see can be absolutely breathtaking. Well, think of a sunrise, sunset, snow-covered mountains, or a hillside in autumn. Remarkable visuals that can leave you exhilarated. Science tells us that more than 80% of our information and understanding of our world comes through sight, making your eyes incredibly important. But what if you damage or lose your sight? Often there's nothing that can be done. There's no cure for glaucoma, for example. Glaucoma is a group of eye conditions that damage the optic nerve. About 3 million Americans have glaucoma. Around 20 million Americans have age-related macular degeneration, which, while it doesn't usually cause complete blindness, happens when a part of the retina called the macula is damaged, destroying central vision and the ability to see fine details. The leading cause of blindness worldwide is cataracts, which is when the lens of the eye becomes clouded. It can happen for any number of reasons. More than half of the blindness cases in the world are due to cataracts, with more than 19 million people in the world experiencing bilateral blindness from cataracts. That's blindness in both eyes. It seems that cataracts have been treated since about 400 years before Moses was born. And cataract surgery was mentioned in a first century medical encyclopedia. Early cataract surgery, as you might imagine, was a primitive affair. And even though a clouded lens was surgically removed by an ophthalmologist in Paris, France as early as 1748, it would be another 200 years before English ophthalmologist Sir Harold Ridley would discover a method to replace a natural lens damaged by cataracts with an artificial lens. Today, cataract surgery is routine. A life-changing It Is Written humanitarian project, Eyes for India, has provided free cataract surgery for thousands of India's poor during the last 10 years or so. Several decades ago, advancements were made in the treatment of this form of blindness by a remarkable and tenacious young American woman from New York City. Patricia Bath was born in Harlem on November the 4th, 1942. Her father had emigrated from Trinidad and was a merchant marine, a newspaper columnist, and the first black motorman for the New York City subway system. Her mother was a domestic worker who saved her earnings to invest in the education of Patricia and her brother. While Patricia's father instilled in her a sense of discipline and curiosity about the world in which she lived, her mother fueled that curiosity by buying Patricia a chemistry set when she was a young child. With the encouragement of her parents, young Patricia devoted herself to getting the most out of her education. By the age of 16, she'd already earned a place in the National Science Foundation workshop on cancer research. 
and a future in science looked as bright as any star in the darkest midnight sky. Fueled by a love of books and of science, she excelled at school, becoming the editor of Charles Evans Hughes High School's science paper, which is interesting. Charles Evans Hughes High School was in the Chelsea District, which is where Madison Square Garden is, near to the Empire State Building. But Patricia was raised in Harlem, miles away. According to Patricia, there was no high school in Harlem when she was going to school. But that didn't stop her from winning numerous academic awards and graduating from high school in just two and a half years. Fueled by an insatiable curiosity to understand her world, Patricia devoted herself to helping to cure and prevent blindness. She earned a bachelor's degree from Hunter College in 1964, a medical degree from Howard University in 1968, and then returned to New York to begin a fellowship in ophthalmology at Columbia University. In the course of her research, Patricia noticed that African Americans were twice as likely to suffer from blindness than the other populations with whom she interacted. She discovered this wasn't due to genetics, but instead to lower levels of awareness of the symptoms leading to blindness, also a lack of education, and a lack of financial means needed to access preventative care. In 1973, she became the first African American to complete a residency in ophthalmology, and in 1975, the first female faculty member in the Department of Ophthalmology at UCLA's Jules Stein Eye Institute. Later, she would become the first woman in the nation to chair such a prestigious academic department. In 1976, she co-founded the American Institute for the Prevention of Blindness, building on the results that were being delivered from her community-based ophthalmology system. As she worked to combat blindness of the eyes, Dr. Patricia Barth had a front-row seat in society's struggle with another type of blindness. It wasn't until 1964, the same year she received her undergraduate degree, that the government of the United States passed laws prohibiting discrimination on the basis of race, color, religion, sex, or national origin. This was a time of upheaval within society. Patricia had to battle both blindness of the eyes and blindness of the heart. Dr. Bath stated she encountered both sexism and racism in her professional and academic career. She took her research work to Europe. The barriers she came up against in the United States didn't exist in Germany, France, and England, countries where she could pursue scientific research and develop inventions that would better the human race. She was a pioneer, a trailblazer, and an inventor, and she taught a lesson that still needs to be learned today. I'll be back with more in just a moment. The cross is a symbol of Christianity for millions of people around the world. But beyond the symbol, there is power in the cross, power God wants you to experience. Learn more by requesting today's free offer, The Power of the Cross. To receive The Power of the Cross, call 800-253-3000 or visit us online at iiwoffer.com. Experience the power of the cross. Call 800-253-3000 or visit iiwoffer.com. Thanks for joining me on It Is Written. The human eye is incredibly complex. 
It's made up of more than 2 million working parts. The retina alone has approximately 6 million cones and 120 million rods. The 6 million cones see color and they're divided into red, green and blue. While those 120 million rods are photoreceptors, light receivers. The eye is a camera essentially and a phenomenally good one. The eye is a marvel of creation. Even Charles Darwin wrote in The Origin of Species, to suppose that the eye, with all its inimitable contrivances for adjusting the focus to different distances, for admitting different amounts of light, and for the correction of spherical and chromatic aberration, could have been formed by natural selection, seems, I freely confess, absurd in the highest degree. Ophthalmologist Dr. Patricia Barth accumulated a long list of achievements. She became the first African-American resident at New York University. She married and gave birth while completing a fellowship in 1974 in corneal and keratoprosthesis surgery, that's implanting an artificial cornea. When she became the first woman ophthalmologist to be appointed to UCLA's Jules Stein Eye Institute in 1974, she was offered an office in the basement next to the lab animals, she said. She refused the space and ended up with what she described as acceptable office space. She said, I decided I was just going to do my work. Her work with the American Institute for the Prevention of Blindness, which aimed to protect, preserve, and restore the gift of sight for all, regardless of race, gender, age, or income level, saw her travel broadly, performing surgery, teaching new medical techniques, and donating equipment. By 1983, she was chair of the Ophthalmology Residency Training Program at Drew UCLA, the first woman in the United States to ever hold such a position. She said one of the highlights of her career occurred on a humanitarian mission to North Africa, when she restored the sight of a woman who had been blind for 30 years by implanting an artificial cornea. She said, the ability to restore sight is the ultimate reward. But she wasn't satisfied with just helping prevent cataract blindness in at-risk communities. Searching for a better way to treat cataracts, she developed the Laser Faco Probe, a device that used lasers to vaporize cataracts in a patient's eyes, enabling a surgeon to then remove the lens and insert a replacement. It took almost five years to complete the necessary research and testing, and in May 1988, she became the first African-American female doctor to receive a patent for a medical device. The Laser Faco Probe made it possible for people who'd been blind for as long as 40 years to have their sight restored. Ultimately, inventor and research scientist Patricia Barth would receive five patents. From Harlem, New York came a trailblazer, a visionary, and given the times in which she lived, an unlikely candidate to make a giant contribution to medicine and science. She was the wrong gender, wrong color, and she grew up in what she described as relative poverty. Her mother scrubbed floors so she could go to medical school. Role models were few and far between. She knew of no women physicians. Surgery was dominated by males, and blacks were excluded from many medical schools and medical societies and yet she broke through one glass ceiling after another. The fact is, character counts. For further proof of that, 
Let's go back together 2,000 years. Jesus was born in a barn to humble parents and in the eyes of many, in questionable circumstances. After his birth, his bed was a feeding trough. When the local governor ordered he be put to death, his family fled to another country, seeking to escape an oppressive regime. Later, Jesus was raised in a town with such a bad reputation that when one man heard where he was from, he said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Bad town, but character counts. I reflected on this recently at the funeral of a friend of mine. He started his ministry as a local church pastor, a good one. And there was something about that man that people noticed. He was chosen to become a church administrator, and he rose up through the ranks of administration until he served his church on a global level. He wasn't the loudest man, he wasn't the flashiest, he wasn't the funniest, but he was a dedicated Christian man, an effective minister of the gospel, a wise administrator, and a man of character. It was character along with excellence that saw this man occupy the positions he did. Character counts. It always has, and it always will. Dr. Patricia Bath oozed integrity. When the deck was stacked against her, she doubled down and worked harder. As a young person, she could easily have been caught up in the wrong crowd. She was raised in New York City during a turbulent time in this nation's history. But she was raised by parents who stood by her and stood by each other, each of them demonstrating the importance of character. You can make a big difference simply by being a person of integrity. That'll get you noticed. And better yet, It'll get God noticed in you. If you're someone who keeps their word, someone who works hard, someone who is on time, stays late, gives their best, puts others first. If you're not always looking for recognition, if you go the extra mile to make sure people receive good service, if that's you, then you're gonna go places and you will shine for the Lord. A friend of mine started an auto repair shop on the edge of a major US city. You know, it's a risk starting a business. He never advertised, believing in the power of word of mouth. When a little old lady came in complaining that her taillight wasn't working, his shop would replace the bulb in five minutes and charge her a dollar for the bulb. There was no, leave your vehicle here, we'll get to it when we can, that's an hour's labor plus an expensive part, here's your hefty bill, none of that. If it was a simple fix, people were sent on their way with a smile and often with no bill at all. That business became so successful, there was no way they could keep up with the demand for their services. They were fair, they were honest, they were known for their integrity, and of course they made money because character counts. Now, how did character count in the life of Jesus? We'll find that out in just a moment. It was home to some of the most magnificent temples in the ancient world. Temples built to honor Artemis, Hadrian, Serapis, and the Roman Emperor Domitian. And surrounded by rampant idol and emperor worship, a small band of Christians formed their own church in the city of Ephesus. Maintaining their faith in the midst of this pagan culture was anything but easy. Today, only ruins remain of those once spectacular structures. But the story of Ephesus lives on, continuing to hold both historical and spiritual significance. 
Join us as we explore the messages of Jesus to the seven churches of Revelation and discover God's messages to the church of the past and the church of today. The Seven Churches of Revelation, Ephesus, brought to you by It Is Written TV. Thank you for remembering that It Is Written exists because of the kindness of people just like you. To support this international life-changing ministry, please call us now at 800-253-3000. You can send your tax-deductible gift to the address on your screen, or you can visit us online at itiswritten.com. Thank you for your prayers and for your financial support. Our number again is 800-253-3000. You could visit us online at itiswritten.com. Think of the times Jesus' integrity, His character shone through in His life and ministry. When some evil men dragged a woman to Jesus stating she'd done something terribly immoral, it seemed it really was not a question of guilt or innocence. They said they'd caught her in the act. That means they'd have had to been spying on her because what they were accusing her of was not something done publicly. This was a setup on some level, and Jesus smelled a rat. They said angrily, Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what do you say? Notice this. This they said, testing him, that they might have something which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. This whole performance was only carried out so these men would have a reason to accuse Jesus. The woman meant nothing to them. If she died, her death would only have been collateral damage in their sight. It was Jesus they were after. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. You read about that in John chapter 8. What he wrote filled them with conviction, so much so that they walked away, leaving Jesus and the woman behind. Oh, now Jesus cared about the sin she committed, no question. He said to her, go and sin no more. But what was Jesus' deepest burden? He was concerned for the woman's salvation. And not only that, He was concerned for the salvation of the men. They were worthy of even greater condemnation. But Jesus didn't publicly call them out either. He could have, but instead, He allowed the Holy Spirit to work in their hearts as He wanted them saved too. What a thing to be known for. Jesus wanted people saved. He didn't attack. He went about His work of revealing to people what His Father was like. And anyone who knew anything about that exchange would have marveled. The woman would have said, this was a man who treated me with dignity. The men would have thought, he didn't attack us even though we deserved it. It's often said John 3.16 is the most famous verse in the Bible. But be sure you read the next verse, John 3.17. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. One Sabbath day, Jesus healed a man who had a withered hand. Now, this was provocative because the Jewish religious leaders had loaded the Sabbath down with man-made laws to the extent that to carry your bed was considered a sin against God. To rub a little wheat in your hands for the purpose of separating the grain from the hull was considered work and therefore breaking the Sabbath. Of course, it was not Sabbath breaking, not in God's eyes, but the religious leaders taught that it was. 
So on this occasion, he reminded them that if they had a sheep which fell into a pit on the Sabbath, they'd go right ahead and lift it out, and they wouldn't consider that Sabbath breaking. He said, of how much more value then is a man than a sheep? This is Matthew 12. He healed the man, an absolute mind-blowing miracle. And their response, then the Pharisees went out and plotted against him how they might destroy him. Now, Jesus didn't have a death wish, but he wanted people to see God's law in its correct light and to see how far away they were from God's heart. Here were people contenting themselves that they were religious and righteous when they were truly full of malice and hate. Jesus wanted people to see themselves as they really were, so they might recognize their great need of a Savior and accept Him as Messiah. That's character. He came to the world as a lamb to be slain. He was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon Him, and by His stripes we are healed. Isaiah chapter 53. As He hung on the cross, He didn't curse or call down fire from heaven. Remember, before one of them had a change of heart, both thieves insulted Him. It was the way Jesus reacted to the thieves and to the condemnation of the people that touched the heart of the one thief who got saved. A Roman centurion present at the crucifixion said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. Character. You're in this world to reflect the character of God. And in fact, to have the character of God reformed in you. That's what Adam and Eve lost in the Garden of Eden. It's what God wants to restore in the human family. The character of God. Not just doctrinal orthodoxy, as important as that is. Not just standing for or against the right issues. Anyone can do that. It takes a Christian to live with integrity in the sight of God. When the cashier accidentally gives you too much change, you want to be the person who goes back to the cashier and returns the difference. That's integrity. When friends of my wife and I were at a supermarket not that long ago, the nice lady at the checkout obviously undercharged them. She didn't seem to notice. So they pointed out to her that they owed her a lot more money than she was asking for. She looked at them like they were crazy, but they knew that if they hadn't done that, they'd have been stealing from the supermarket. They'd have felt like they were crazy. You know, a major supermarket change has found that since they installed self-checkouts, there's been a whole lot more stealing. Well, no one is surprised by that. And what does it show? It shows that people lack integrity. Give people an opportunity to steal, unfortunately, they will. That's people revealing their true character. God didn't create anyone to be like that. He created you to live for His glory. Imagine the honor you can bring to God simply by allowing the character of God to be seen in your life. And how does that happen? How can you be that person? Jesus said, Abide in me and I in you. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. 
Paul wrote that the mystery of the gospel is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He wrote to the church of Galatia saying, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. When Christ has your heart, he'll lead you in the path of obedience and you'll reveal his character. Dr. Patricia Bath, five patents, a trailblazer, an innovator, an academic, and humanitarian, a life changer, 12 disciples, and none of them was willing to assume the role of a servant. So at the Last Supper, Jesus took a bowl of water and washed the disciples' feet. Character. Someone once said that it's in a crisis that character is revealed. At the time of his greatest crisis, while nailed to a cross, Jesus' prayer was, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. He came to reveal to the world what his Father is like. He said, He who has seen me has seen the Father. And what did we see of the Father in Jesus? Forgiveness kindness, mercy, love. How can your life reveal the character of Jesus to others? God will give you opportunity after opportunity. Take those chances to show others what Jesus is really like. He'll shine through you and you'll shine as the light of the world. Yes, there are times it's challenging to reflect the character of God. Conflict, temptation, hardship, loss, That's why you need Jesus. If you have His Spirit dwelling in you, your default reaction will be to surrender to the will of God. Can we pray about that together and ask God to do His will in your life at all times? Not just when it's comfortable or easy and not according to your will, but always and according to His will. God can do that in you. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we are thankful for the life of a remarkable woman whose integrity serves today as an example. Her character counted then and counts now. And it reminds us that in this world, we are here to develop character, to shine for Jesus in this world and to live with Jesus for eternity in the world to come. Now, friend, I know there are many people right now struggling against sin. They fight against it, get dragged right back into it, think they're okay, and the next thing they're repeating the same mistakes, often shameful mistakes. And you want to do better. You want Jesus to liberate you, free you from the chains of sin that bind you. Father, I'm praying that prayer right now for the man, the woman, the young person who wants to be free, wants to live for Jesus. Fill them with your spirit. Reform their character after yours. We believe you can. Moreover, we believe you will and that you're doing that right now. Take our hearts and make them yours. We thank you. We love you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The cross is a symbol of Christianity for millions of people around the world. But beyond the symbol, there is power in the cross, power God wants you to experience. Learn more by requesting today's free offer, The Power of the Cross. To receive The Power of the Cross, call 800-253-3000 or visit us online at iiwoffer.com. Experience the power of the cross. Call 800-253-3000 or visit iiwoffer.com. Thanks so much for joining me. I'm looking forward to seeing you again next time. Until then, remember, 
It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You've been listening to It Is Written, presented by Pastor John Bradshaw. We hope you have been blessed and that your faith in God has been renewed. Join us again next week at the same time on this station for It Is Written with John Bradshaw. This program was produced by It Is Written, all rights reserved. It Is Written is a faith-based ministry. Thank you for your letters and continued support. For more information, please visit our website, itiswritten.com. 